All right. Well, um, a special morning this morning. I know that I mentioned to you last time we'd probably take another little break here so we could honor the mothers. And I just want you to know, ladies, that I'm aware this morning that Mother's Day is often bittersweet. Uh, sweet, certainly, in the ways that you would think because um, of all that mothering is and what motherhood is all about. Uh, but also bitter in some ways because of how life changes and how life is with mother and children at times. And so I'm certainly understanding that as you watch them uh, grow up. It's a joyful time, uh, especially when those little guys, we just spent the weekend with our grandkids, and it's just a precious, precious time to to be a part of their lives. But then, you know, there are those challenging years that come up that are not so exciting in their experiences with uh, mothers. And so uh, for whatever reasons today that you're here and you're celebrating, I pray that you're here to listen to the Lord and hear some things that he wants to share with you. I hope that I'll do justice to the text this morning in in looking at someone's life uh, here in just a moment that I believe will give us some some good information. And so uh, even if you're here this morning, uh, maybe you're a mom that uh, your child is wayward or your child is... um, gone on now, not even here on this earth anymore. Uh, So just want you to know that I want to be as sensitive as I possibly can anytime we share a message like this, and because uh, God is sensitive to you and uh, knows what's going on in your life. And so I hope today is an exciting day, a celebrating day for you, but also realize that there are mixed people in the crowd. And so, uh, as I mentioned now, we want to look at the life of somebody in Scripture. And any time that I have a task like this to present something on a regular basis, kind of like Christmas and Easter and and days like today, uh, celebrations like today, I always try to find someone in the text or some meaning in the text that's going to help edify us. And today I want to look at the life of a young woman and see the joys that she had from being a mother, uh, but also some of the struggles that she more than likely had as we read kind of between the lines this morning on her life and see, as as I was saying, some things that we can learn, some lessons that we can learn from her. And so I've titled the message today, Lessons from a Godly Woman. Now, I'm not going to have you stand because this is a lot of reading, but I do want you to either turn to 1 Samuel in your Bible, uh, chapter 1, and already you may already know who I'm talking about. I'm going to read this whole chapter This morning, just to give you a flavor of the context. And so you can see with your own mind's eye into the heart of of this woman, Hannah. Okay, others of you can watch on on the screen there. And I'm going to do my best to get through some of these names. If you've read some of the Old Testament, you know some of these names can be pretty challenging, especially the places. So picking up our reading now in, in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. We read, there was a certain man from Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panah. That's how you pronounce it, actually, in the Hebrew. Panah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penai, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. 
Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give to him him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. And as Hannah she was and for as as for Hannah she was speaking to her heart in her heart, only her lips were moving, but the voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, to, said Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition so that you, ask, so you have what you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy, the boy to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. All right. That's a lengthy story, but I think, again, it's necessary to hear that so that we're really understanding the full context here. And, and, and if you're like me, you're reading this and you feel the emotion of what Hannah was experiencing. It's hard not to if you're paying attention. The uncertainty, no doubt, in Hannah's heart especially in the earlier days before Samuel was born. And you certainly see in here an amazing amount of faith, don't you? It's just absolutely incredible. With all of this, though, as I was studying through this, I thought there were a couple points that really give us the lessons that we need to learn from this, or at least a few of them. I'm sure there are many more that we could get out of it. Uh, but let's just talk about this first one, which is 
in Hannah or from Hannah, I see the response of a godly woman that would say, never let your earthly situation determine what God can do through you. Never let your earthly situation determine what God can do through you. One of the first things we learn in this story is that Elkanah was a polygamist. That means he had, and I don't have to explain this to you, he had more than one wife. Pretty clear. And I don't think any of us need to process this very long to understand the ugliness of it, uh, even though it was something that people groups have practiced for a long, long time, and there are those that we could get into to talk about. But I don't want those people and these even this, this kind of text to confuse the truth, because from the beginning you will know in Genesis that God ordained for one man and one woman to be married. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But even though God determined and ordained that to be the case, God did tolerate, and I'm using these words carefully here this morning, God tolerated this kind of life. It wasn't by permission, but by his mercy and his grace, remembering that we are broken people. And so there are times where God will allow things in order to accomplish his purpose. Now, even though God tolerated this, that doesn't mean he actually endorsed it. It doesn't mean he's putting his stamp of approval on it. In fact, the Lord had to make laws for Israel against polygamy because he knew the problems that would come from it. In fact, nowhere in Scripture, when a polygamous relationship is given, is there any kind of affirmation in the positive that it's something that's going to be useful and beneficial to either person. In fact, every situation we have in Scripture where a man had multiple wives, there was always some problem and someone at odds, and this is a perfect illustration, as you can see very clearly here. Now, there are reasons for the polygamous kind of relationship, and some of it was because um, a man just wanted another woman in his life, and that was probably the case with Solomon. You know, It was kind of a trophy for him. And God used Solomon in great ways, but he also had 700 wives, and those wives also led him away from the truth of the Lord, if you look at the text carefully. And in this case, we have two women who are constantly at odds with one another. But what seems to be the case with Elkanah, the man, is that he married Peniah because Hannah was barren. In other words, she wasn't able to have children, and so in those days, it was important for the line of the man to continue on. And so he did what was becoming normal, tolerated by God in that culture in order to continue on the line. But you can see very clearly just from one chapter that that made a very difficult setting and situation for both women, one who was very ugly to Hannah and the other one who seemed to be a woman who followed God making her life very difficult. I guess the point is, no matter what life is like, and what life is like for you even as a woman this morning, whether you have children or not, or even if your husband loves you or doesn't love you, like you want him to, and I hope you're hearing this clearly, don't let those circumstances dictate what God is capable of doing through you and in that relationship. Because God has the ability to work through all kinds of circumstances. Because the circumstances of your life do not and will not keep God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in your life. God is not bound by circumstances. He's not bound by our decisions 
Although those may seem final to us and perpetual, it doesn't mean that God is bound by them. And so there's a great encouragement out of this first part. And, you know, when you look at Hannah's life, we have the benefit, like all other stories in the Scripture, of seeing the results or the outcomes. Or we can go back and say to Hannah, Hannah, do this. Or Elkanah, don't do that. But they didn't have that benefit. You and I don't have that benefit. We have today. That's what they had. But the point is still the same, is that although they couldn't see what God would do through this, we can't see what God's going to do through us either. The point is, God will do what God does as we surrender to him and we follow his purposes for us. Lesson number two, and this really comes from verses four and five. I'm not going to reread that again for the sake of our time. You can follow along with that in your scripture if you want to read that is that, and this should be very obvious by now, and it's very clear in the text, that God is the one who determines when and if you have children. And let's say that again. God is the one who determines when and if you have children. How many women, and you may be one of them, have stressed over not being able to give birth? Now, maybe it's just the line of work that I'm in. I don't know, but I have dealt with many people over the years in the intimacy of their lives in situations like this that have gotten even depressed and and like Hannah because there is no child that comes after many attempts. And sometimes Satan can really get in there and cause women to even look down upon themselves and consider themselves as less valuable and less important as other women believing that they're not even good enough. I've sat in sessions with people where they will make those kind of comments. I guess I'm just not good enough, or maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe there's some reason that God is doing this, and it's usually because of me. just makes me wonder how many women have been, again, lost into even states of depression over the inability to produce children, or in some cases, even a distraction from the pain they feel because of being childless. I think what we learn clearly from verse 5 is really a must for every woman who desires children, and that is simply this, is that Hannah couldn't have children because the Lord kept her from having children. Pretty simple. But that needs to resonate in our minds. We've talked many times over about how God is in control of all things. Here's another perfect example, even when it comes to bringing children into this life. Now, that doesn't mean that childbirth is not a human process. It certainly is. We know that. Even if that process is manipulated at times through science and technology, and I'm not saying there's a positive or negative to that. I'm just simply saying we see that in culture. It is God still who gives children whatever the situation might be. And unless his will is for a woman to give birth, it's not going to happen, just like everything else in this life. Now, you might hear those statements, some of you ladies, and get mad even at God and find yourself frustrated with him. But before you get upset about God withholding potentially something from you, and I don't know your situation, I don't know all of the years of your life uh, and what may or may not have happened. I'm just knowing that this is the case through, through what we see through people like Hannah. And I'm sure there are many other women who are just as anxious as she was. You hear in her heart, don't you? As she's praying, Eli thinks she's drunk. 
And she's just so into her prayers, praying that God would give to her some child or a child to, to bless her husband with. Um, I'm sure that there are many women who have gone through this. And so that's what's causing my mind to think this way. But again, before you get mad at God or blame him, let's, let me just put my counseling hat on just for a minute and under, help you to understand this, that you're not at fault if you're childless. Okay? Let's be clear about that. If God is the giver of children, then understand the default of that is you're not to blame for not having children if you've done what your life is to be. That's totally God's God's business, meaning you can do whatever you can do in your power to have children, but again, God is the determiner of life. Now, with all that said, there are some caveats to all of it, and that is that maybe your body has been afflicted by some disease some circumstance, and you're not able to have children because of it. And God understands all that. He's very well aware of your situation. And he even knows that better than you do. That's important to remember. And for whatever reason, he's determined that childbirth is not for you. Now, it could be at this time, like Hannah's case, or it could be permanently. But that's not your fault either. And it's important that you hear that. Satan wants you to believe otherwise. This life of disease and inability to have children in that physical sense is a result of living in a cursed world. We come into this world with bodies that are cursed. That's why we grow old. That's why we feel the pain we do. And I'm talking about physically and literally. We are in a sick world where we're afflicted by all forms of disease and destructive influences. But understand this also. And I think this is such a critical point. It also doesn't mean that you're guiltless, and we'll say this sensitively, if you have somehow abused your body over time and it's caused it to be unable to do what you want it to do. And many women have done that. And that's just a sad reality of the effects of sin, either trying to be someone they're not or through some drug abuse or something else. And the consequences are childlessness. Now, it may not even be purposeful on your part, but there are things, as you know, and I'm not a doctor, but you know if you pay attention uh, that can affect all these processes. But even at that, no matter what it is, please hear this, is that if that is the case with your life or any of the others, God is merciful, he's loving, he's forgiving, and he has the ability to do what you cannot believe he can do. God can do it. God does not determine your value or your worth based on what you're able to do or not do when it comes to children. Hannah had no idea why she was barren. Text doesn't tell us anything. And there's no reason to give us any other understanding other than what the Lord tells us right here in the text. So it must mean that God was at work in her to keep her from having children for some bigger purpose. Now, we have the benefit of seeing that. She didn't know that at the time. What God was doing really, in effect, was putting himself on display. And, because, and we know that because even though she did have Samuel eventually, the story's really not about Hannah or Samuel at all. It's really about God and what he's doing through the whole thing. It's about his amazing power and miraculous ability to produce something that was just absolutely impossible in the mind of the person. With all that being said... I'm also not saying that you'll have children if you beg God enough. 
You may have done that for years. I'm not saying, and I don't know God's mind, but that doesn't mean that God is going to do that in that way. But it is possible that through your childlessness, the inability on your own body to physically produce a a child, God is doing something that you don't see or understand. It could be that God wants you to go a different route through adoption or through some other means, foster parenting, supporting mothers' pregnancy centers like Thrive Ministry, helping out in those ways, who help moms keep their children from the horrors of abortion. And maybe, just maybe, God will use one of those children in a great way. We don't know what God is doing through these things, but that becomes the point. God is the, the picture here. He's the one who is being put on display. All right, let's go to a third lesson here. A godly woman appreciates her husband even if he is not the easiest to live with. Okay? I'm trying to decide who's laughing the loudest. Is it the women or the men right now? I'm pretty sure it's the women. A godly woman appreciates her husband even if he's not the easiest to live with. You know, you just kind of have to have a heart for Elkanah a little bit. Part of you wants to say, Elkanah, get with the picture here, man. I'm not going to read verses 6 through 8 again, 6 through 9. You can do that. But I just simply want to say, in spite of his obvious failures... He certainly seemed like he was a good man, and we're told that he loved Hannah greatly. He even gave her more than he gave the other woman when it came to the time of the sacrifice. But he also made her life very, very difficult. I mean, that was a tough situation, right? I mean, how many of you ladies would love to be announced to that you've got another wife coming into the picture? I expect we'd be doing a lot of counseling, right? That just wouldn't fly very well. I understand the context, and that was different in their context. But it's still weird, right? We've already talked about that. It's never positive, ever. But the good news about Hannah is she hung in there. She hung in there when Elkanah loved her in his own way, and we don't know a lot about him, but he was a man just like anybody else, any other man, I should say, And she hung in there, and I'm simply saying, so can you. The the response and the reactions of your husband don't determine who you are as a woman under God. In fact, there have been many women who have faithfully followed God, who've had husbands who, like Elkanah, love and support them and desire to be with them and provide for them. But the husband is not a follower of Christ. Lots of people like that. Lots of relationships like that. Usually it's because they have started out as unbelievers and one of them becomes a believer and so there they are in that situation. Um, But when there is a division of the spirit there, there becomes a division in the relationship by default. And if you're in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. You can still love each other, but you know there's a disconnect. That you just, can't, you just can't get past it, which is why the Lord will say to us as his children, when we're talking about marrying someone, he says this in 2 Corinthians, do not be bound together with unbelievers. The binding there is talking about the marriage covenant. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? In other words, it's axiomatic. It's, it's just, it's not going to work. 
You can't merge those two in the way that they need to be merged. And that really means any kind of spiritual arrangement, whatever that may be. It's going to hinder the testimony of the believer. And I don't mean necessarily cause them to sin, but it's going to be a problem, obviously. Now, there are others who have had unbelieving husbands who, again, love them and care for them like a husband should. And for the most part, the couple lives a life that's peaceful. And they continue on together, which also is what Paul will say to the church also in 1 Corinthians. If a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Now, I don't have time to teach through all that, but it's important for you to hear this because this is Mother's Day. And most mothers, most mothers are related to a man in some way. And there's a connection here. And we're specifically talking about what God wants. But the point is, even from a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse that both want to be together, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy either. It's going to be a lot of challenges, as I've already mentioned. Notice in 1 Corinthians God's response to the faithfulness in a difficult situation like that. He says, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. A lot of people have been confused by what God means there. That does not mean, as some have interpreted it, to mean that your children are automatically born again. That's not what he's talking about. They still have to make their own personal response to God. It's still an individual decision. What it does mean, mean, though, and this is just so beautiful, that even in a mixed spiritual relationship, what God is saying is that there is a special grace that he provides over those children in that relationship. And I'm talking about in the context of the home, when they're still in the home, because of the faithfulness of the believing spouse. The faithfulness of the believing spouse provides a grace from God which could mean that those children will eventually give their life to the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but even if that doesn't happen, what the Lord is saying is that they will be blessed by me because of you, believer. Now, Hannah didn't have that instruction from Paul, but Hannah had the instruction from the Lord in her heart. And she knew, even though this was a very difficult situation and Elkanah caused some real difficulties for her, she knew it was right to hang in there because God would bless and honor that. And that's simply what we're saying here. Now, I feel like I need to add this as a footnote just for those of you who may be wondering about the whole divorce and relationship issue. We're not going to teach through a lot of this, but just let me share this with you. If you're in an abusive relationship... Elkanah was not doing that to Hannah, but if you're in an abusive relationship, God would never require you to stay in that. I know there are some people who differ with that, but that's ridiculous. I did not say divorce, but I have counseled many people that a separation is often necessary at times like that where you get the other person's attention. And by the way, this is not just the men who can be uh, abusive people. I worked with a guy one time whose wife broke his leg. I mean, so women can be pretty tough. Right, And so there are situations on both sides. The point is, if you find yourself in an abusive situation, you need to get out of that situation as quickly as you can and seek the Lord's guidance and direction for what that situation is, especially getting out of the danger of it and bringing the children out of that. Okay, Just so you understand what I'm saying here. Divorce should always be the absolute last option 
And I've often said to people, let the other person pursue the divorce. If that's what's going to happen. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 says, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. If the brother or sister then is not in bondage in such a case, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now what Paul's talking about there is, some people have said, I need to stay in this because by my response to him or her, then God's going to bring them under, under his grace and they're going to see the truth and they're going to give their life to the Lord. Paul is saying, you don't know that. That may not be God's plan. And so don't put yourself through a situation where the unbeliever wants out. Okay. Now that's my little footnote there that I just wanted to give you. Now, for just one last lesson on that, single moms, if you find yourself raising children on your own, God knows your situation. Praise his name. And I love this text of scripture where David writes this in Psalm 27:10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Don't you love that? If you find yourself in a challenging situation, God will care for your children. He has that ability and desire to do so. All right, let's look at a fourth lesson here. A godly woman or mother surrenders her children to God. A godly woman or mother surrenders her children to God. Hannah, I believe, understood very clearly that even though the Lord blessed her with a son after who knows how long her prayers were, or I'm talking about years, uh, Samuel was not hers to keep. And she understood this so well, she dedicated Samuel to the Lord, and, and not just in a concept or a conceptual way, but physically, literally, she dedicated him, which is what you see in verse 11. And notice we're told that she kept the child with her until he was weaned, which could have been anywhere from 18 months to up to five years, potentially. And that's according to Jewish tradition. And that's because not only was the mother the main source of nourishment, as you can imagine, you know, there was just not the kind of life that we have today, but also because there was a high mortality rate. And so children didn't live very long, or it was tough for children coming into the world and so it was important for the child to get past those early days. And that's why the weaning process was much later, which God made a big deal out of. In fact, in Genesis 21, there's a great celebration by Abraham when Isaac is weaned. I mean, this was a big deal. Okay? So it's not for naught that the Lord puts this in the text. This was a very emotional, very, um, very real kind of situation for Hannah and even Elkanah, but especially Hannah as she's the main focus in this particular part. And so in Hannah's case, there came that day when she had to do what she promised just a few years earlier. She came and she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. Again, you can read that in verses 24 and 28. And I think in all of this, Hannah is showing us that Samuel never really belonged to her in the first place. Can I say that again? Samuel never really belonged to Hannah in the first place. And I don't want to be insensitive here, but because we know that, of course, he was her son physically, but spiritually, God is the creator, right? Physically, God is the creator. And Hannah understood this. She was to give Samuel to the Lord because she knew that really Samuel was the Lord's. And so, mom, can I just ask you, have you processed that? 
with your children? Have you dedicated your children to the Lord? Now, I understand as a parent what that means. And, and Debbie and I did the same thing when our children were born. And there's a, a concept there and an understanding intellectually. But there's quite another thing to it when it comes to the literal dedication in the spiritual heart. That may sound strange to say it that way, but there is a literalness to the spiritual dedication. There's a tangibleness of offering up our children to the Lord. And we don't want to ever minimize that. And if you did do that, what did you really mean by that? In other words, how are you showing that dedication now? What is your life reflecting in that dedication? What I mean is, is that when, when their life gets difficult, I'm talking about the children here, when their life gets difficult and your heart aches for them, and it does, doesn't it? Of course it does. And you want to fix everything that's broken in them and with them and around them. Do you do everything that you can in your power to keep them safe, which is obviously what we would try to do? Do you, but do you do it to the point where you begin to take over what God wants to do? Do you see where I'm going with this? There's a sense in which dedication means that we have to release them to the Lord and really live what we say we believe. There are times when only God can fix what only God can fix, right? I'm not saying we should never do for them or care for them tangibly, but this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue that you know that they are God's child and so you rest in knowing that God is the greater parent and can fix what you have no ability to fix, which leads us to the fifth lesson. A godly woman doesn't have to like the plan of the Lord, but she still follows him by faith. Often we don't like the Lord's plan. Am I the only one? Okay, I'll confess, I'm the only one. I need you to counsel me. We don't like the Lord's plan at times. Just because the text doesn't say it doesn't mean Hannah was completely excited about the idea of leaving her little son with Eli. Now remember, he's little when she leaves him at the temple. Let's get into the situation here. He's maybe five at the most. And I've never met a mother who has enjoyed leaving her child anywhere. I mean, I'm talking about a mom who cares. Let me take you back to day one. Or let's even go further. We'll project a little later. How about the first day of daycare? Remember that, ladies? Remember that, dads? Or even before that, the first time you left your baby with somebody else, period. Even if it's your parents or their parents, that anxiousness that was there and that feeling of, oh my gosh, what if they don't do things the way I need them and want and expect them to do? Because, you know, sometimes kids have this idea that mom and dad have forgotten everything that they knew about child rearing and they hand off the little child and they're like, let me teach you what you need to do. And you're like, well, hey, but remember, we, we've done this before, okay? So it doesn't matter. Do you remember the first day of kindergarten? 
First grade? Second grade? Did it get easier? Only because you knew it had to. But not because internally it got easier. Our son just told us the other day about their third child. We were talking about when she's ready for school and he says, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to drop her off. (laughs) He didn't elaborate on that, but he didn't have to tell Debbie and me much. You don't have to elaborate on that kind of thing, right? And you know as well as I do that that kind of concern doesn't stop. It just doesn't. If you're a parent, it may become a little easier, but it's never easy. How many moms have cried their eyes out when their child goes to college? Right? Or leaves home for the first time. And how many moms have cried their eyes out every year after that? No matter what school year it is. You know the feelings well, even when they leave for their first job. Or wherever it is that God has them. Or another state. How many moms have been unable to sleep at night for concern about their child and what's wrong with them or thinking something may be wrong Especially when it may be the last child. Now, we have this joke in our family. I guess Jordan kind of started it, that he's the favorite. That's not true. Our favorites are the ones who are living right. I'm just kidding about that. But, you know, all those reactions are built into every mom, right? It's not abnormal to be that kind of connected with them. And fathers understand it too. But it's why moms are moms. We're talking about moms today. Mothers. It's why moms are moms. But God has a plan. And God looks to us to be those who give to him what only he can do. And I think Hannah understood that so well that she was willing to leave and follow through what she said she was going to do earlier in her prayer, which was evidently perhaps five years before. She knew the day would come, and so by faith she did that. And I understand if, if that were you, leaving your child somewhere at five years of age and never going back to get him, we'd be locked up. Right? But in those days, that was something very, very special. And I'm not suggesting that we do that. But what she did do is that she fully embraced God And she surrendered her little one to the Lord. And that leads us to the final thought here. A godly mom knows she is not to find her identity in her child. A godly mom knows she is not to find her identity in her child. You know, we're so blessed to have the ways that we have to communicate with our children Unless for some reason they throw their phone in the trash when you're trying to communicate with them. But Hannah didn't have those ways. Again, let's think about her situation for a minute. And by the way, kids, there's no excuse for you not getting back in touch with mom when she's texted you. So just imagine if you're Hannah. No way to communicate with Samuel. Heads off to Shiloh, leaves him there with Eli. Maybe she had some form of courier or letter or whatever in those days. But I think most likely, if you're Hannah, you can just see this picture. That as Hannah turned to leave Samuel there with Eli, who again was just a little guy, not only did the tears flow, but she also knew she would be unable to communicate with him. Now put yourself there. Because you really don't understand the meaning that God is giving 
unless you put yourself in that situation. Now, thankfully, she knew God and she believed God for what he had told her. And she knew Samuel couldn't be her identity. You understand what I mean by that? Her life could not be wrapped up in Samuel. Now, that's tough. And I understand how tough that is. But there's a point where mom has to understand if she's going to be truly following God, that God did not give her to be mom just to have life wrapped up in her kids alone. God called her to him first. And I think Hannah gives us a beautiful understanding of this. I'm saying this, that as difficult as it is, there comes a time when every mom has to let go of their child into the arms of God. That has to happen. And let God take it from there. Now again, that doesn't mean that you stop caring or unconcerned, but it does mean that there's that peace that only God can give when you do that. And the reason is because God is a perfect parent. Who better to leave your child in the hands of than God himself? I mean, so much so is God a perfect parent that text, the scripture tells us he knows where our children are at every moment. He knows every thought they're thinking. And he has the ability to provide and direct them in their life steps beyond anybody on this planet. Psalm 139, you know when I sit down, David said to the Lord, and when I rise up. You know my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If you skip down to verse 17, he says to that, whole thought, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now listen to Hannah at this point. Go back to her for a second and see if she understood what the psalmist just said. We read in the very last part of 1 Samuel 1, as long as he lives, talking about Samuel, he is dedicated to to the Lord. Now that word dedicated in Hebrew literally means or comes from a root word meaning to loan or to let out. To loan on request. That's the idea. In other words, again, Hannah understood really that Samuel was not really hers, but God had loaned him to her based on her request. That was her prayer, right? Her request was, I need a son. I want a son. God said, okay, I'll loan you him. And that's what God is saying to every mother today. You wanted a child. Maybe you didn't want a child, but I gave you one anyway. He or she is on loan to you. They don't belong to you. They belong to me. And therefore you are to release them to me because I am really their parent. You become my representative of me to them while they're here on earth. So when the day came, 
understanding all that, she could give him back to the Lord. And she did, trusting God to take care of him even better than she could. And God did and would fulfill his plan through Samuel, and we have a great story of his life in both books of First and Second Samuel, as God would use him greatly. And so, I guess as we close this out, I hope you believe when I say I understand the challenges that come with this. I really do. I think every godly man understands this and wants to understand this. But we also have the promises of God, and we need to lean on those promises, which are things like he will do whatever is good and best for us, and I'm talking about even our children. Romans 8:28. we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That God will provide all their needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, God will supply all needs according to his riches. That their lives will be safer, even safer with him when they are in his care than they are even with us. And so what it all means is that for the godly women in this life, there's got to come an acceptance that God is God and he will do with our children as he sees fit. There's some ramifications to that too because God's seeing fit may mean that their life is shorter than what we would plan. Right? It could mean that. It could mean that his plan is for a more difficult life for them than what we would expect and want. But that's his business because he is still God and the determiner of life. His promises don't change. He's still faithful to everything that he said and he will accomplish his work in his own way. And so moms, if you look at Hannah as an example and just think about some of these things, I think God is wanting to say that he will provide the peace that you need no matter where God sends your child or no matter what your child goes through, even if it means we don't understand what he's doing or how this is all working out, you got to trust him like Hannah did because God has their best interest at heart. It's a faith journey. It's a faith journey. Okay? So let's pray and praise the Lord. And we'll get prepared for communion. Father, uh, it's quite amazing, really, to me at least, as I was studying through this this week, that we could take a story like Hannah's life that has been so popular in Bible stories over the years and familiar to so many people and really see some very intimate thoughts and truths, life lessons that come from from her. In fact, uh, here is this woman that really after this chapter, in the second chapter, we have no record of her again. But how you've preserved her life and her decisions, her faith examples, to give all of us, especially moms on this morning, the, the awareness of who you are and, and how it is possible to trust you as a mom with children. I just have to believe, Lord, that Hannah felt deeply and hurt in her heart even when she had to let little Samuel go. But Lord, how her faith was so much stronger and uh, you certainly did use him. And Lord, I would... I would ask you this morning to help all of us as we each go our own ways with our children and in life, in our relationships with our spouses, uh, to be able to trust you. 
It's quite one thing to say we trust you with our intellect, but quite another to truly trust you with our fleshly lives, with the, the way we live, the tangible ways we live. But we do know, so, Lord, also that when we follow you, you do give us a peace that passes all understanding. I don't know how you do that. I don't know what abilities you have other than you are God to provide peace in the midst of the challenges and also to give joy in a family dynamic. But we thank you, Lord, that that is a wonderful picture of your relationship, even in the Trinity and in the Godhead and in the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, I I pray for moms today. I pray for those that um, are in their elder years now. Maybe some of their children, one at least, are gone on. They've outlived them. doesn't mean the pain goes away. I, I praise you for those moms who have raised up their children to know you and have lived by faith. And Lord, I praise you for what you're doing in the life of those newest moms, uh, those young women who are now beginning the process of life with their children, their husbands, or maybe even single moms. That they're just learning about you and what it means to walk by faith and to trust you. I praise you, Father, that you're able to meet the needs perfectly for anyone who will surrender their life to you. And so, Lord, as we elevate moms this morning, we really are elevating you because, again, you are the hero of all of this. Moms are here because you are here. Moms exist because you exist. And moms exist to show us your loving, tender, caring nature, which is why moms have that nature. And so, Father, I pray also for those hearts that may not be a mom here today. Maybe there's a a male or someone who doesn't even care about being a mom, that they would need to know you as Christ and Lord of their life. Lord, would it be today that you would honor our prayers, that you would speak into the heart of someone who's lost, who's undone about their life and doesn't understand the direction that they're going in and needs some focus But I pray that you would first help them to see that they need you as their God. Help them even at this moment just say, Father, help me. Lord, come into my life. I surrender everything to you. Teach me. Show me who you are. Lord, I pray that there be some triumphal story of that truth that you would give us the blessing of knowing about. So, Lord, we give you this time, and again, we thank you for moms. We thank you for this day, and again, we honor you most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you now. um, We're going to move into our communion time here, and if you were with us on Easter Sunday morning, you know, I had us go through this in a little bit different way. You'll see the tables here in the front that have been prepared. Um, We're going to do it a little bit more orderly. I think it, it should be ordered. Our brothers are here, and you have a choice of two. This is not a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to start putting steak and stuff up here. Um, but you do have, for those of you that would rather take one of the little private cups and bread, you're welcome to do that uh, if you still have any concerns. But there's also the, um, uh, the matzah cracker here. You're, please pick up one of those and a cup of juice, and then I would just have you go back to your seats. And so let's do it this way. Let's just file out this way and go back around. And we'll just kind of make this nice little circle here and go back to your seat, if you will. If you're not 
hearing the Spirit of God or there's some reason why you feel compelled not to take part of this as it is a very serious and solemn time, uh, please don't listen to God. If there's some trouble in your heart or soul that you have with another person or some issue that you're struggling with that keeps you from having fellowship with the Lord, please do not take part in communion. This is a time for God's people to examine themselves, look into their hearts deeply, and then take part in the body and the blood of Christ. And we'll wait for you. So don't feel like you have to rush. your way. I hope that you'll make this a prayerful time. Let me read to you from the passage in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so a man must examine himself and in the examination he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, just explaining that text a little bit there, it's important to understand that God is not commanding you to abstain from it forever, but to search your heart and to repent of anything that may be there. And that word repentance just simply means you turn away. You don't take part in it again. You're giving it up permanently. Whatever that sin, whatever that hindrance might be, it's keeping you from being what God would want you to be. And then you come when your heart is right with the Lord and you take part in it because he's a gracious and merciful God. And so when the cup was given, Paul said, remembering what the Lord had told him, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take part of that if you will. You've examined your heart. You've asked the Lord to expose to you areas that need to be confessed just between you and him. He's the only one that's hearing you. And you feel confident, you're certain that the Lord is honoring your heart. And he does, beloved. God longs to hear a heart that is repentant and take part in that cracker. As a reminder of the body of Christ that was given for you. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take part in the juice now that you've made peace with the Lord. You believe that Christ shed his blood for you. He paid the penalty of your sin, paid the debt of your sin so that you would have eternal life. And the reason you do that is for what Paul says here is that as often as you drink the bread and eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a public testimony. It's a public witness that you are a member of the body of Christ. You don't become a member of the body of Christ by doing this. 
you've become a member of the body of Christ. And so you, as a member of the body of Christ, you obediently take part in the remembrance of what Christ did for you. Father, thank you again for our time this morning and thank you for the joy of, of what this celebration reminder is all about. Lord, even though we don't have a lot of time to spend together on this particular part, I pray that as we leave this place, that throughout our week we will remember this text, remember the call, remember the mandate to come and to remember the death of Christ and the blood that was poured out for each of us. Lord, may we live the example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our words, in our thoughts, our actions. And Lord, we pray you would forgive us as we fail you in so many ways. Thank you for your saving grace. Thank you, Lord, that it's because of Jesus that we can go on in this life and we can continue to live for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you don't require anything from us but belief, our faith, and our trust in you. And now we give you this time, and we pray that you are, you are honored and you will bring glory to yourself through everything. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Lord's blessings to you. Have a wonderful week.